This is Wayne Goldsmith, and welcome to Sports Thoughts. I've spent 25 years traveling the world, working with some of the world's best athletes, coaches, and teams, trying to discover what it is that they do, how they think, and what it takes to be the best in sport. Subscribe to our newsletter at wgcoaching.com to keep up to date with my thoughts on sport. Okay, welcome to Wayne's World. It's Wayne's World with Wayne Goldsmith. Wayne Goldsmith is our regular on Wednesday mornings after 10 o'clock. We call it Wayne's World. WGCoaching.com is the website. Morning, Wayne. How are you? Oh, I'm going great, mate. It's uh, getting towards the end of the year, so the kids are tired and ready and hungry and angry all at the same time, but we're surviving. We're surviving. Good stuff. Good to hear. Right. Uh, today's topic of conversation is is kind of apt. Uh, it's kind of topical, but also wide ranging as well. And that's how you manage a roster of players, not only financially, but in terms of the types of players you have at your club and, and I guess, managing the egos of some of those players. So let's start from the start. How do clubs and coaches go about building a roster of players in general terms? Well, what happens is a coach will come in. So let's say we're talking about a Super Rugby team, an NRL team, an AFL team, and the coach will have a vision of the style of game that they want to play. And that game might be a dynamic attacking game or a you know, brutally, physically uh, offensive game. It could be based on uh, great skills and principles of, uh, of attacking flair. It could be counter. It could be something that, and they've got a vision. The next step is to say, right, who have I actually got here? Who can deliver that style of play that I think is going to be effective because I've been paid to win. I've been paid to put together a team that's going to win for my organisation. Have I got the players here that can deliver that style of play? And then the coach has got three options, Piney, really. They can say, well, look, these guys are pretty good. Uh, These players have got a lot of what I'm looking for. I'm going to spend one, two, three years further developing their skills so that they can play the style of play and deliver the game I'm looking for. Secondly, they can say, well, look, no, these guys just don't have what I'm looking for. And maybe I've got to change my game style to fit what I've actually got with a play group. And that often happens when they're locked into long-term contracts and you can't move players on. And of course, the third thing is to progressively move on the players that are there that can't deliver that style that you're looking for or that game that you're looking for and systematically recruit players who can. So that's very simply, as I've been hired to win, how do I think we can win? Have I got the players? If not, can I A, train them? Can I B, improve in some areas? Or C, do I need to get different players to deliver that plan? In terms of the conversations that uh, the coaching staff and those involved in recruitment have, I'm, I'm sure it's a lot easier to have a conversation with somebody who you're looking to bring to your club, you know, buttering them up and telling them how great they are, than having a conversation with a player who perhaps has had his time at uh, your club. How do they know when it's time for someone to be moved on? Well, I think there's a few ways that coaches go about it, Piney. One is, the obvious one is physically. So in pre-season training... Uh, the classic is, and, and you see it quite often that, that teams, if you have a look who's leading the NRL AFL, who's leading the competitions around round four, 
quite often those teams don't go on with. Sometimes they do when they leave from start to finish. But a lot of teams have an unbelievable preseason based on just relentless, hard physical training. So they're better physically prepared than anyone else. And because the coaches decided the way we're going to win is we're going to be bigger, stronger, faster, fitter than everybody else, and they put all their eggs into that basket. So they'll see physically, is the player capable of physically? Do they have the speed, the strength? Are they capable of delivering the game physically? And if they decide, well, no, they're just too old or they don't have that sort of capacity to be able to play that game, they might move them on. Sometimes it's around one of our favourite topics, finding values, attitudes. Sometimes the coach will come in and say, look, to me, the physical stuff's important. The technical and tactical stuff's important. But what I am about is values, is about character and having a great bunch of players who get on together. And I know you've got a problem with alcohol. I know you're a little bit of a rock star and you like to be out all night and you like the media and you like those things. You're not going to fit into the sort of dour, hard... uh, physical nature of the, of the culture that I'm trying to, to build. So coaches will, will, will figure out, do I have this player that I need to build my foundations? And then, uh, as always, the best way to go about it is honest, direct, individualised, one-on-one conversation, saying, I want to take you through where I'm at, let's have a talk, let's have a conversation, and go from there. When you're looking at those um, those equations, and and often in um, in teams down this end of the world anyway, there's salary cap to be taken into account as well. I mean, is there any evidence at all to say that the best way to build a roster under a salary cap is to have one or two big stars and then a lot of guys who are kind of about the same, or is it is it better in a salary cap league to not have a star and to have a lot of guys kind of on that middling money? If you get what I'm driving at. No, oh, and what a what a fantastic, uh, fantastic question on recruitment philosophies. There's a lot comes into it. Uh, I live on the Gold Coast, and when the the Gold Coast Suns were starting up the AFL team that's, that's based a few minutes down the road from where we live, they brought in a, a champion, one of the best players the game has seen for a long time, called Gary Ablett Jr. His father was one of the legends of the game, uh, Gary Ablett from Geelong, and Gary Ablett. Uh, Junior had had great success as a premiership player with the Geelong Cats and they brought him in as a foundation player partly because unbelievable unquestioned playing skills but also he he offered the marketing and advertising and sponsorship group at the Suns with a ready-made opportunity to promote the game, to promote the team and to have that superstar banner who could do their media, who could talk to the press who would be the hero for the kids to sell merchandise and so on. Now, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. You know, in, in a world of performance, Piney, it shouldn't be that those things have anything to do with putting a team together. But the reality is professional football is, as it sounds, it's a business. It's about making money as much as it is about winning and glory and success and all those things. And quite often, recruitment decisions are made in partnership with the CEO and the board and the business side because there's bigger considerations than just winning and losing games. The counter argument is that sponsors and advertisers and the media are not interested in losing teams and the investment has always got to be focused on the quality of the player and on the performance of the team more than creating a media superstar. So look, it, it's, it can work either way. I think there's an argument to say if you've got the right player 
with the right attitude, someone who's got a, a great attitude to hard work and commitment, who's values-based, they can be vital and vitally important to have around the team. Uh, the salary cap throws a lot of challenges up and those decisions are never easy to make, which is, as we know from experience, so many clubs try to get around it. <laughs> they do. Um, everybody wants to know, don't they? The fans in particular, the media want to know. Other players, I'm sure, want to know You know where their place is in an organisation. How do you manage all of that, keep the information flow going to the correct people without giving away your long-term strategy? Yeah, again, a really good topic. What I find that the teams generally do is when a coach comes in and they build their coaching team and they've got three or four core players who are fundamental to their long-term success. They'll sit down, they'll map out their game style or their playing style or the type of game that they want to play. They don't advertise, hey, guys, uh, certainly not directly to the media and, and definitely not to the fans in the short term. They don't say, we're doing this because in four years we're going to play a style of game that will be making us invincible in the competition. They don't telegraph their punches. However, having worked in NRL and Super Rugby and AFL, when you go through list management, and, and the AFL teams are, I think, the best in the Southern Hemisphere, certainly doing it, no doubt the NFL is the best in doing it in the North, but in the Southern Hemisphere, the AFL have full-time list management staff. And it's quite a remarkable point. I wish I would have taken photos of this over the years when I've been involved, is that in their office, they'll have, at the moment, they'll have 2019, 2020, 2021, 2022, and even 2023, lists of players on the wall where they know and they can see at a glance who have we got in each position, who have we got as a backup to that position, when are they coming off contract, and then they'll also be coordinating with people who are running junior football leagues and under-18s, and they'll be talking to people to say, okay, well, who's coming on? Now, we know that Piney's an outstanding player, but we know at 2022 he's gone. That's going to leave a hole in our midfield. So in 2023, we need another midfielder. All right, who's the best 16, 17, 18-year-old midfielder going around? Let's have a look at them and let's track them through the draft. And that's the sort of long-term strategic thinking that the clubs all have in place to try and sustain success over time. If you're smart and you're working for one of the other teams, you can see where they're going. You can say, hang on a minute, that's the sixth midfield player that they've recruited in the last two years, they're clearly building a game based on a running midfield and dominance of the middle of play. So the opposition coaches are very clever. They see where you're going, but it's not something that's generally advertised openly and publicly to everybody in the system. And into that mix as well, Wayne, is that coaches turn over too, don't they? Because uh, we know full well that, that coaches can be moved on if things aren't going their way or they can go to um, what they perceive to be bigger and better things. So I guess a new coach coming in has a look at that whiteboard or that spreadsheet or whatever it is and says, well, actually, I think we should do it this way instead. Yeah, that's, that's something that's been quite fascinating, hasn't it, been over the years, is that coach gets all excited, says, guys, this is the future of the club. We're building a, you know, that use words like dynasty, and we're building a culture and we're building a sustainable system here that will ensure the success of this club. So that's the spin. That's the, but the reality is two to three years down the line, if they're not winning, they're out the door. I think what we're seeing increasingly, certainly in England in rugby, in England in Super League, in the, the, the rugby league uh, competition played in England and in parts of France, that we're seeing the emergence of this other beast called the director of football. And 
what what I they're, they're more of a you know, half a step, maybe a step removed from the actual head coaching position, because I, what I'm seeing is the boards are saying, look, this is great. We're going to coach is super motivated. It's trying to build something wonderful for us, but they may be gone in two years. Can we have another person? Can we create another role who's maybe a little bit more towards the admin, a little bit more connected to the CEO and to the leadership of the board whose job it is to build sustainable success? So if we lose a coach, we've got this other person there who's got a complementary skill set and can really build a culture off for the club for the long term. So when Brian Smith plays that sort of role, uh, with the Warriors, and he's, a, he's a brilliant, brilliant man, and obviously they've had a great season. But we're seeing the emergence in AFL definitely, and now with Mount Meninga's appointment, for example, around the Gold Coast Titans, we're seeing clubs get these experienced old heads and put them into roles where they can they can they can take a longer term, more strategic perspective on on building the success of the club. Fascinating topic for sure, and uh, and no right or wrong answer. It's all a jigsaw at the end of the day, isn't it? And they're all doing it the way that they uh, see fit and that they think is best for their club. Great to chat as always, Wayne. Enjoy the rest of your week. Enjoy the sunshine. We'll uh, catch up again next Wednesday. <laughs> always wonderful, mate. Have a great week. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear more sports thoughts, subscribe to our newsletter at wgcoaching.com. Listener.